Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. Um, we are at, at episode three of our second season the third and final episode in our series of the murder of Elizabeth Short, aka the Black Dahlia. Um, this one is pertaining just to the suspects. And I'm back again with Tress and Haley, ladies. Hi. Hello again. I ended the last episode with an email that I received stating that there was currently de- a detective assigned to the Black Dahlia case. People talk all the time about the Black Dahlia case being an open investigation. And I kind of want to explain that a little bit. It's there, yes, there is a detective assigned to the case. And no, the head of the homicide robbery division will not respond to further emails. I wanted to ask so many questions. I knew he wasn't going to answer them and probably not even let me talk to the detective. But when I say that's an open cold case and his, his exact words were, and I included that, was that the Black Dahlia case is considered a cold case with an open investigation. What that means is that there is a detective assigned to the case. Their job is the Black Dahlia case. It's part of their list of all the cases they're working on. Does it mean that he goes and reads a file now? I mean, it's accessible to him or her. He can, this but person. he's not actively He's not actively, he's not even probably looking at the file, to be honest. What his job is now, because he is assigned in it, switches detectives, I don't know how often, so many years. But what it is, is the detective, if someone were to call and say, I have found in my basement a bunch of files that are missing in the Black Dahlia case, which there are. There are tons of things missing from the Black Dahlia case. There are four, from what I understand, there are four file cabinets in the basement of the LAPD filled with the information that I'm, nobody is, like we're not allowed to see it. We can see the 56 pages that they released to the public, but there are numerous, 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 four, four file cabinets full of information that we are not allowed to see because it is a cold open case. That person can, if someone were to call and say, Hey, you know the missing letters because what is missing is the letters that the killer, that they believe the killer wrote to the newspapers. That letter is physically gone now. So many things that they found during the investigation that would have had Elizabeth's DNA or the murder's DNA on it are now gone. They just disappeared. They disappeared. Some people say it disappeared during a move the LAPD did in either the 60s or 70s to their new location. Some people say that people took files home back in the day and that any of the detectives working on the case that would have been privy to this information could have taken it home. Um, They also say that the one particular letter that would have had the DA on it, they said was compromised and sent to the FBI. So that could be missing from the FBI. But they do know that if, otherwise I believe that 
one of the books that I'm going to link on our website is written by Steve Hodel, who believe that his dad, and we're going to talk about his dad, George Hodel, is the murderer of the of Elizabeth Short. He would have submitted DNA already, I, I believe, to if they had a way to check the DNA. So the detective that's assigned to the case doesn't actually look at the case, doesn't read the files, has probably never even been to the file cabinet. But if someone were to call and say, my great-grandfather was assigned to the Black Dahlia case for a minute back in 1949 or whenever, and he had a box that was in the attic and I found all this stuff, that's the person who would take the call. But that person is not actively looking for the murder of the Black Dahlia. And I didn't mean to get into why the case wouldn't be solved, but it kind of goes hand in hand with this, is that one of the reasons why they say that the Black Dahlia case will never be solved and we know um, with DNA nowadays, they've just solved the Green River Killer. And my obsession with ancestry and DNA is it could be solved. If that information was available, it could have been solved years ago. But the information's not available anymore. And I, there's something I wanted to mention that I meant to mention in earlier episodes is that the the black the name the Black Dahlia, it wasn't originally called that when it first started to be sensationalized. It was called the Werewolf Murders. And that doesn't have the ring that the Black Dahlia has. Maybe that's why it disappeared. Mm-hmm. But it had a different name. And you, you can actually Google it by Werewolf Murders. And the police actually called it that originally. I'd watched a documentary on the Black Dahlia. And one of the people that we mentioned earlier in one of the episodes was a man named Ray Pinker. He uh, testified at the inquest too. He was the forensic chemist and he was on scene the day that they discovered Elizabeth's body. He was another one of those people that would take files home. And, um, and and this could happen. We could wake up one day and the news could break that, that there is a file sitting at someone's house. We don't know. The widow of Ray Pinker lets the reporter come in and go through his file cabinets and see if there's anything in there um, about the black Dahlia. And, and it's frustrating for me because to solve this mystery would be amazing. And there's a million armchair detectives that know far more than I do. In fact, just a few minutes ago on our break, you, you broke it to me, another suspect that I got kind of defensive about because I happen to love his work um, (laughs) that I didn't know. And I've been researching this for a month and that's never come up as far as I'm concerned in all the research I've done. And it kind of, I don't want to say this. um, It kind of ruins Mary Passio's book for me until you started reading more. And then there's so many suspects. There's people you wouldn't even think. And she pinpoints specific things that would have ties him to it, which is so crazy. It doesn't really, it doesn't tie him to it in any, like to her in any way, but it, and it uh, could all be coincidental. Um, but like, I, you know how I am about ancestry and DNA. And as everybody can imagine, I've ancestry the shit out of this. I don't even know if that's a word, ancestry. Most of the people in this case, I mean, not just the suspects, but the investigators and the detectives and even the Ray Pinker that I was just talking about. And we've all seen, as especially true crime buffs, that DNA can solve years-old mysteries. And it, it's probably not going to happen with Elizabeth Short. A lot of people say that um, like the files could be in someone's basement. They also say that there was controversy with the LAPD and William Randolph Hearst d- during that time um, with the newspapers and stuff. And they were, it could have purposely gone missing. We don't know. It, it could have, They could have determined that the person, like again, with what Mary Passio says in her book, maybe the person who murdered her was a, a highfalutin person in L.A. and they could afford to pay off the police department. I don't know. 
It's I thought that too, but then for some reason I think when things like that happen, then they purposely find someone to frame it on so it goes away. I feel like just it, letting it go. I feel like if it was some type of cover up of some kind, it would have been put on someone fake, so it would just be closed and over and done with. Yeah, so that's they would why stop. I don't necessarily think it's a cover up. And that's and, and and that's another reason why I don't believe what who she thinks. And I'm, and I spent time um, researching each of these people, and I a lot of what I wrote actually though um, by the time I got to the suspects, I got from a website which I'm gonna include on the episode webpage too. Um, it's a girl who did extensive research on the Black Dahlia case and she maintains a website and she, the last update was 2017 or something, but her website's amazing if you're interested in this case at all. It's the investigators getting back to the fact that we're talking about suspects here. The investigators treated every person who knew Elizabeth Short as a suspect, like I said earlier. By June of 1947, police had processed and eliminated a list of 75 prime suspects. By December 1948, the detectives had considered 192 suspects total. So pretty much anybody who came in contact with Elizabeth, or anybody said came in contact with Elizabeth. About 60 people confessed to Elizabeth Short's murder, including a woman who was taken very seriously, but only 22 people were considered viable suspects by the Los Angeles District Attorney. And I'm going to actually let Haley, do you want to read the list? It's named, so I know how that. Yeah, I'll probably say most of them wrong. But okay, I'll try. so I'm going to let Haley read the suspects' names. Okay, Mark Hansen, Carl Bassinger, C. Welsh, Sergeant Chuck, name unknown, John D. Wade, Joe Salholis, Scalis, Scalis, James Nimmo, Maurice Clement, a Chicago police officer. Salvador Torres Verrera, medical student. Dr. George Hodel. Marvin Margulis, who's also a medical student. Glenn Wolf. Michael Anthony Otero. George Bacchus. Francis Campbell. Queer woman surgeon. Yeah, I've never heard that. Dr. Paul DeGaston. Dr. A.E. Bricks. Dr. M. M. Schwartz, Dr. Arthur McGinnis Fott, Dr. Patrick S. O'Reilly. So from that list, which think how many did I say wrong? A there? lot. Um, twenty-two people. That list was again shortened to who the current suspects are. And before I get to the current suspects, I'm going to let Tress um, tell you again because she was reading the book written by Mary Passios. Um, who Mary Passios um, believed committed the murder. And I, I will be frank, I got very defensive just because of who it is. And I was shocked when she said the she name. She almost like, kicked me out. I was like, what? Who? <laughs> no, that's bull. And I, I spent a lot of time researching. This is the first time I've heard it. And again, I didn't read her book. The frustrating thing is that she comes up with, with connections to the case and it's going to be difficult because I don't, we don't want to read that whole thing, but we want to do the bullet points. I can read the bullet points. But, um, Mary Passios, and I'm going to let, because this person is not on the short list, I'm going to let, um, Tress tell you who Mary Passios thinks it was. And maybe if Mary listens to this, yeah, we'll have she another conversation. Episode yeah. And have a conversation and maybe she can convince you. Otherwise. Well, I hope that I, I hope I actually have, 
um, an email out to the district attorney's office. I still haven't heard back and actually heard a couple things. So I, I really feel like they're going to write me back again. Um, and Steve Hodel, uh, I said that I could ask him a couple questions. Okay. So I'm hoping to do a follow up on this. It probably won't be our next episode, but I hopefully, hopefully because again, I mean, the magnitude of this case was just, it was just huge. And to go back 72 years is a little bit difficult. Um, so it's going to be ongoing. We're, we will come back with updates and mini episodes as we get them. So again, like Tressa said, maybe Mary will email me back and we can chit chat about who this is, but. Don't say this part. Say what his I'll name say is. His first name. Yeah. Okay. So it is Orson Wells. And dum dum dum. This <laughs> makes me angry. It makes me angry because. What did you immediately say when I said I, bullshit? Is what I said. <laughs> I was like, where the hell did that come from? But it, it's so funny because then Tressa kept reading the bullet points of why she thought Orson Wells, and I mean, I guess you can pretty much put it on anybody, but it's very frustrating that there was even a possibility. But go ahead. I'm going to let her talk. So, one, he does have a history of violence. Even during his childhood, he um, he actually stabbed an actor in a play with a real knife in the chest. Um, he's had some other violent outrages both on and off the stage. Um, during the time of the murder, he was under a lot of stress due to money. His production at the time was a flop. Um, his link to the victim was that he frequently was at the Florentine Gardens. And I'm going to say this wrong. Brittinghans. Yeah, that was the restaurant we talked about earlier. Restaurant near Columbia Studios. We know that she was there. And so did Elizabeth Short. Waitresses at that restaurant had heard rumors that the victim was going out with someone from Columbia Studios, which that's where he was filming at. Um, he had knowledge of anatomy and had access to medical equipment at the time. Um, his mentor and guardian was Dr. Maurice Bernstein, an orthopedic surgeon. A crazy horse set from the film The Lady from Shanghai that was designed and worked on by the suspect three months prior to the Black Dahlia murder had many of the same signature elements as the Black Dahlia murder. Dolls and figurines were cut in half. Mutilations depicted in the same areas as the mutilations that were later inflicted on the victim's body. Dismembered mannequins' legs hanging down from the ceiling. Antonomical murals and clown heads with wide smiles similar to the smile that was cut into the victim's face. See, that's what, that's where you got me. That's when I started listening to you. Because at first I was like, psh, psh. Yeah. Sounds and a then I started listening. guilty. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, wait, what? That w-? Because I remember seeing photos from that, that film, still photos from that film. Because I've always been an Orson Welles fan. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the clown faces, I remember the clown faces with the giant smile, the ear-to-ear smiles, and that kind of creeps me out. Um. He that his behavior after the murder became very erratic the days following the murder. The filming suspended for a month on January 23rd, 1947. The suspect applied for his passport on 19 on 19 on January 24th, 1947, the same day that the killer called the Los Angeles newspaper and said he was mailing a packet of the Dahlia's belongings. A few months later, Suspect inquired about enrolling at a mortuary school. The suspect next directed and played the lead role in Macbeth, Shakespeare, Masterpiece, and Murder and Guilt. 
The suspect left for Europe before the editing, editing of Macbeth was completed. Republic, wanting suspect to return to complete editing and dubbing, begged, pleaded, and threatened the suspect, who stayed away from Hollywood for close to 10 years. Sorry, my voice just like went. I know. And then um, <clears throat> summarize the the um, Daryl Zanuck thing. Like, don't read the whole okay, thing. So. But he basically thinks his friend saying that he would have hit him. He delivered a eulogy at the funeral of Daryl Zanuck. 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 Who had assisted him in his departure to Europe where he stayed hidden for 10 years. And this is what he said. If I did something really outrageous, that if I had committed some abominable crime, which I believe is most of us to do under the right circumstances, that if I were guilty of something unspeakable, and if all the police in the world were after me, there was one man, and only one man I could come to, and that was Daryl. He would not have made me a speech about the good of the industry, the good of the studio. He would not have been mealy-mouthed or put me aside he would have hid me under the bed very simple he was a friend and he's the one who helped him leave the he's the one who helped him leave the country yes on the same day that the call went to, to and in orson wells would dramatic well that was that. the day like he, he would have done that applied for his passport right i don't know it's just that bugs me he's not on any mm-hmm. fbi list he's not on any lapd list and I like I'm angry that you even threw Orson Welles' name into this, mm-hmm. just because it just seems so far fetched. But then you start reading it, and like there are things that could have connected him to Elizabeth Short. I mean, if he was at the Florentine Gardens, which I know that he was too, um, and she was there, we know she was there. We know that she was at that restaurant, and people say that she was dating someone from Colombia. He was from Colombia, so I guess. It just doesn't know. really explain what would make him angry enough to brutally kill her. Well, I think... Well, he seemed like he... By what was being reading, violent. he was very erratic. He was erratic and violent. And she may have turned him down. I mean, he wasn't... By 1947, he wasn't the best-looking guy. I mean, he was doing drugs. He probably wasn't that appealing to most people. Other than he would have been appealing just because of his money if she wanted to get married. But he wouldn't be the first person she would want to marry and have kids with. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I. It just... It's so far-fetched. And I feel like you could connect it to basically anybody. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. in one way, one way I was angry and defensive. And then another way you kind of sucked me in a little bit by saying all these things. But then it also leads you to realize that so many people be, could be considered a suspect. And a lot of people, that's what a lot of people have a problem with Steve Hodel in his book saying that his dad did it because he has a lot of evidence like that. But then he has a lot of circumstantial things too that don't make sense to other people. So why, I mean, if Orson Welles was considered a real suspect, I think he would at least be on the, the it's he's long dead and gone. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, so I'm going to get um to there's Haley led you read you the list of the 22 names that were considered viable suspects. Um, but the list gets shorter and becomes only names of 11 people who are considered today to be the current main suspects for the murder of Elizabeth Short. And that's Walter Bailey, Norman Chandler, Leslie Dillon, Ed Burns, Joseph Dumas, Mark Hansen, George Hodel, George Knowlton, Robert Red Manley, Patrick S. O'Reilly, and Jack Anderson Wilson. So... Um, some of these have been cleared. Uh, Robert, Robert Red Manley has been cleared. He, 
I think people only still question Red Manley because of the fact that he struggled the rest of his life with it. And technically, his only part in the whole thing was spending that night with her and being the last person to see her alive. Now, we don't know what he went through. Like we said earlier, I can't imagine being in that position where people are camped out on your lawn and you have nowhere to go and you're associated with this case for the rest of your life. But it seems, I don't know, rather dramatic, I guess, for it to affect him for the rest of his life that he couldn't move away from Los Angeles and not be affected unless he was already mentally unstable. Some other people that were dismissed on this list was Walter Bailey. He was mostly dismissed from, as far as I'm concerned anyways, and a lot of other people claim that he was 67 years old at the time of the Black Was Daily he the murder. surgeon? He was a doctor. I don't know. Yeah, Walter Bailey. He was a surgeon. Yeah, he was 67, and they said that it would have been difficult to do half the things that were done. He wasn't he physically had fit. Alzheimer's and Yeah, he had a lot of things wrong with him. How was Mark Hansen cleared? Like you'd think with how Anne talked about him and Elizabeth's like volatile relationship. How was he not? Uh, he's still a prime suspect. Um Norman Chandler was another one. He um <laughs> dismissible I think. He was accused of being involved in Elizabeth Short's murder in a complicated scenario involving multiple perpetrators. Wolf claimed that Chandler impregnated Elizabeth Short while she was working as a call girl, which no one's ever said she worked as a call girl. Joseph Domas, a 29-year-old soldier from Fort Dix, New Jersey, he was one of the false confessors. I don't think that he's really considered... He was technically permanently cleared of any involvement in the murder. However, he continued to claim that he killed her for a long, long time. George Knowlton, uh, this was, um, Janice Knowlton was 10 years old and living in Westminster when Elizabeth Short's naked beaten body was found in Southwest Los Angeles. In her book, Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer, Janice came out saying that she was convinced that her long dead father, George Knowlton, had killed Elizabeth Short. She said that she witnessed her father beat Elizabeth to death with a claw hammer in their garage in Westminster. She also said that her father had been having an affair with Elizabeth Short and this is all um, a result of a childhood traumatic experience after her mom died and um, she had been molested that these were repressed memories. I, I, he's on the short list. I don't know that people believe that he did it. Again, read Robert Manley. Patrick O'Reilly was another one. And I, um, I'll give you a link to read all about all of them. But what we did um, was... We made a shorter list of the short list and um, are talking about just the the more likely scenario of um, the murderer. Leslie Dillon was one of them. The second one was Ed Burns. And then um, the third, Patrick O'Reilly was could have been likely and then George Hodel. So I'm going to go in depth a little bit more. Um, Leslie Dillon was 27 years old and worked as a bellhop and was an aspiring writer. He had previously been a mortician's assistant, which obviously puts him in the medical field. In October 1948, Dylan wrote to LAPD psychiatrist Dr. J. Paul DeRiver about the Black Dahlia case, and that's how he was brought to their attention. Dylan, writing from Florida, told DeRiver that he had heard about Elizabeth Short's case from Jew True Detective magazine, where DeRiver spoke on the case. He wanted to hear his theories on the case because he had an interest in sadism and sexual psychopaths and wanted to write a book on the subject. Dylan never confessed to the murder. He instead claimed that a gentleman named Jeff Connors, a friend of his, 
had killed Elizabeth. As DeRiver and Dylan wrote back and forth from Florida to Los Angeles, DeRiver started to believe that Connors was not a real man. He believed that Dylan himself had murdered Elizabeth Short and had developed Connors as a figment of his imagination to cope with a gruesome act. In December, Dylan agreed to meet DeRiver, and DeRiver offered three potential locations, Phoenix, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. Dylan expressed reservations about coming to Los Angeles and chose to meet DeRiver in Las Vegas instead. DeRiver and an undercover LAPD officer, John Sergeant John O'Mara, met Dylan in Vegas, and DeRiver interrogated Dylan, and O'Mara acted as a bodyguard. In the recorded interview, this is what was said. DeRiver said, What do you think the killer did with the hair he shaved off the private parts of the body of Elizabeth Short? Dylan said, I think the killer was as he w- such as he was, would probably have thrown the hair into the toilet and flushed it. DeRiver asked, What do you think a killer such as he was would do with a piece of flesh with a tattoo on it after he cut it off her thigh? Dylan says, Well, I think he would probably have thrown it down the toilet and flushed it. And another recording, DeRiver asked, You are the one who murdered Elizabeth Short. Dylan said, DeRiver, the trouble with this is that you first reach your own conclusion about this case, and then you try to dig up things to prove your conclusions are correct. DeRiver says, what do you think I am, a child? What do you mean by talking to me that way? I am a person who's been around. The undercover officer remembered Dylan talking about bleeding a body prior to embalming by making an incision on the upper thigh, inserting a tube to drain the blood. Dylan had this medical experience as he worked as a mortician's assistant. Um, by the end of 1949, Phineas Brown, who was another investigator with the LAPD, was no longer interested in Dylan. The LAPD concluded that Dylan was most likely in San Francisco when the murder took place. However, they could not conclusively place him there. In fact, the police could not account for Dylan's whereabouts between January 9th or January 15th. Dylan later filed a $100,000 claim against the city of Los Angeles for how he was treated in the case because he, they brought him to L.A. and put him in a hotel room and interrogated him, and you're not allowed to do that. He, the lawsuit was dropped when the LAPD discovered that he was wanted by the Santa Monica police for robbing a hotel. The scandal surrounding Dylan and DeRiver's involvement in the Black Dahlia investigation aided in triggering a 1949 grand jury investigation into the Elizabeth Short case and a police cover-up and corruption in Los Angeles. For more information about the possibility of Dylan's involvement with the Elizabeth Short case, um, read the book Black Dahlia Red Rose by P.M. Eatwell. She discusses it in far more detail. Um, the likelihood of Dylan being the killer. She has. She thinks Dylan's a killer? She thinks Dylan's a killer. And that's the book that I want to read. She talks about a motel room that was he was tied to and um, was found covered in massive amounts of blood. Did you talk about how he would have known her at all, though? Like, what was the um, They can't find a connection to yeah. the other one. So the second suspect that, the most viable, another one to me, and I, I don't know anything, so it's weird that I would choose the top four, but these are my top four. A photo of Ed Burns was among the possessions found in Elizabeth's trunk that the Herald Express received from the Greyhound station. While police were able to identify most of the people in these photos, there was one man the LAPD could not. They identified him as the unID'd man in their records, um, which was short for an unidentified man. The writer behind the Black Dahlia Solution claims that the LAPD knew who killed Elizabeth Short, yet could not hold the murderer. The writer spent years deciphering the cryptic letters received by the Herald Express and the examiner and believes that they had solved the case. The writer accuses a man named Ed Burns of being responsible for Elizabeth Short's murder, yet no other sources have has ever brought up Ed Burns as a suspect. Ed Burns was never mentioned in any FBI reports or accessible LAPD files. 
The entirety of the Black Dahlia Solution is dedicated to explaining that the, what the author believes happened to Elizabeth Short, her killer, and the story. It's sort of summarized. Um, I had mentioned earlier that six-year-old Suzanne Dignan was kidnapped and murdered in Chicago in 1946, and it was a case that Elizabeth was completely fascinated by. Her dismembered body parts were soon found in sewers nearby. William Herons was arrested for her murder after he confessed to killing her. He was linked to two additional murders from 45, and during his trial was convicted and sentenced to three consecutive life terms in Illinois. According to the author, Elizabeth Short became obsessed with this Susan Deegan's murder after Hit Life magazine. She would tell people in bars that she was a reporter from Boston and would give gruesome details about the murder again and again. While going through this obsessed phase, Elizabeth was still searching for a man to call her husband. She met a man who the author claims to be Ed Burns, who had a USC School of Medicine credit and lived in the Los Angeles Harbor District, which we know she hung out in the Harbor Districts. The two of them hit it off at first. He believed she was this beautiful dream girl, and she enjoyed having someone to give her money and listen to her stories. However, he was not very attractive. Elizabeth likely did not want to show him off to her friends, later making the man difficult to identify. Elizabeth and this man had rendezvoused twice in Hollywood in November of 1946. Both times, the two spent the night together in a hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Both morning afters, he would give Elizabeth food and rent money before driving her back to Hollywood. Ed was Elizabeth's best listener, always feigning interest in Elizabeth's obsession for the Suzanne Deegan murder. Deegan murder. However, perhaps Elizabeth began to drive him crazy with it. Elizabeth might have coaxed him to drive her out to Lamarck Park, her lover's lane, before com commenting on the irony of the Deegan Boulevard going right by it. Ed Burns could have become enraged with Elizabeth, feeling as if she loved and idolized William Herons more than himself. He could have the murder of Susan Deegan. He could have tied up Elizabeth, killed her, mutilated her body in the same fashion as Susan Dignan to allow them to live out his twisted interpretation of her fantasy. The author believes that Ed Burns committed suicide on March 15th, 1947, exactly two months after Elizabeth's murder. Ed may have killed himself in order to join Elizabeth in death. His suicide note reads as follows. To whom it may concern, I've waited for the police to capture me for the Dahlieth killing but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in. So this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. The whole time I was like, nah, I don't think so. Until you but read then that. Then I read that. Right. Why yeah. sorry, Mary? I don't know who Mary is. The author believes in note along with other letters received in the Black Dahlia case, all had hidden messages that needed to be deciphered. While this note was not signed, deciphering the letter does show the name Ed Burns. The deciphering of the Black Dahlia letters in relation to Ed Burns can be seen. And I'll, I'll give you a link. There's a, a website, and I'll put it on there. When the LAPD discovered the body of Ed Burns after a suicide, they were likely able to identify his body. If the police had followed the message of the note, the next step would have been to revisit the evidence in the Black Dahlia case. If they looked back at the photographs of Elizabeth, her friends, and her lovers from the trunk received at the Greyhound station, they would have been able to connect the dead man to the unidentified person. However, the LAPD would not be able to come out in the public and say that a dead man was the Bacdalia's killer. The case was too convoluted by then and too infamous for such an answer, and it would give the police department a reputation for bad policing. The author proposes that instead the LAPD decided to keep the truth of the murder hidden. The LAPD might have come forward to say that the Black Dahlia case was unsolved when a few members of the department know the harsh reality. There was a detective that said that they knew who the police... There's a detective on record saying that the police knew who killed elizabeth short but could not go public with it amazon is hiring near you 
start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. So that kind of ties that into that. really makes sense. I mean, who does a suicide note and actually confesses? Well, and, and but then again... People are weird. Yeah, it's hard. Um, the but. third one is, well, four if you count Orson Welles, which I'm not going to. <laughs> Patrick O'Reilly, Dr. Patrick O'Reilly was a medical doctor who had known Elizabeth Short through Mark Hansen. According to Los Angeles District Attorney Files, O'Reilly was a close friend of Hansen and frequented the nightclub that Hansen owned around the time of the murder. O'Reilly was allegedly attended sex parties in Malibu with Hansen O'Reilly, with Hansen. O'Reilly had been convicted of assault with a deadly weapon for taking his secretary to a motel, sadistically beating her almost to death, apparently for no reason other than, than to satisfy his sexual desires. The district attorney's file stated this meant that O'Reilly had a history of violent crimes. The files noted that O'Reilly's right pectoral had been surgically removed, which was similar to the mutilation present on Elizabeth Short's body. It should be noted that O'Reilly was once married to the daughter of one of the LAPD captains... And the suspect interests me because of his violent history and a quick search of him shows he was involved in another case where a young girl ended up pregnant and out of wedlock. Um, he was mentioned in her case of attempting, of her attempting to get an abortion and then she was found murdered and he was one of the doctors that she saw. Everything I can find about him says the reason he wasn't pursued as a suspect was because he couldn't, they couldn't find a connection to Elizabeth other than he, the fact that he knew Mark Hansen, which to me is a strong connection. Which makes me think Mark Hansen and him did it and planned it together. Um, if Elizabeth had maybe met him at Mark's house or ran into him on the night of January 9th and he offered her a ride, would she have agreed because she had met or seen him before? I think so. Um, this one's strange and I wonder if there's more information on him in the public fo- that the files that public can't see. I think him being... He stands out to me for some reason. I think him being involved makes way more sense through Mark Hansen. Like, Mark I mean, I know that Hans- you think... I didn't even put Mark Hansen on the short list. I don't know, but technically, I think he, if anything, Could have Mark Hansen wouldn't know any of the, the doctor dissecting. Things. Yeah. Yes. But his super good friend, Dr. O'Reilly, would. Okay. So, and the last and final one um, is George Hodel. And he's probably considered the most likely subject. And I don't know if it's, he's considered the most likely, likely subject because he's the most likely subject or because Steve Hodel has been so vocal about the fact that it was his dad and that he has written, he's on his third book, I think about the fact and that Steve Hodel is, he was a 24 year police detective. So when you dissect what he says, and there's a lot of reasons why he said is it, that his dad did it. There's tons. Some of them circumstantial. Some of them really, really reaching. But some of them not so much. And yeah. ultimately, you have to give credence to it because of the fact that he was a detective for so many years. So he was capable of being able to find a... Sus- I mean, that's what he was trained to do. In other ways, because of his... And this is just a personal opinion because of his demeanor and the way that 
he tells you that George Hardell, it murdered him and he knows, like he says, the three myths about um, the Black Dahlia case is, and I, it, uh, I'm not going to remember the second one. One of them is that she was a bad girl, a hooker, a prostitute, all that stuff. He says that he dedicated many, 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 many hours disproving that she was. And the third myth was that the case is unsolved. He said it is 100% solved that his dad, George Hodel, did it. And the way that he tells you that, it kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but when someone forces their opinion on me, and even if they can back it up with all kinds of information, in the way that they're forcing it on you, saying, I'm right, I'm right, this is the truth, that's going to make me question it. It's I gonna- don't know the books or anything, but by you saying like he's on his third book about it, it's like also he just had some things that made sense and wanted to make money. Uh, you know what I mean? Thing. Like that's, that's what happens when so many people and so much crazy stuff is involved in a case. It's like anyone can put anything together. And well, I look at what they did with Mary did with Orson Welles. I mean, well, she, I, I'm leaning again. more on the side of that's a huge possibility. But that's the whole thing. Like, and I'm, and I, okay, I'm going to read you this George Hodel thing. I, I'm emailing back with George Hodel. I actually asked him if he would be on our podcast. Emailing George? Emailing, nope, Steve. (laughs) I'm email, I've been emailing back and forth with Steve Hodel, the author of the three books on the Black Dahlia case and his father's involvement. I asked if he would let me interview him or if he would be on our podcast. He kindly declined. He said no, that he has um, an eight hour podcast coming up in February, which is fine. That's fine. We're fine. We're fine, right? Everybody fine? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, (laughs) he needs to come talk to us for a brief, 10 minutes 10 minutes i don't know we only want 10 minutes steve but um he said that george hodell first came under police scrutiny in october of 1949 two years after the murder when he was accused of molesting his 14 year old daughter tamar hodell three witnesses testified at trial that they had seen hodell having sex with his daughter hodell was later acquitted of the sexual assault charges in december of 1949 how did he get acquitted Three people came forward. Mm. I'm going to have to read about that case. The molestation case led the LAPD to include Hodel in the suspect list for the Black Delia case. See that? Why? Seems, How's that even Why? Linked? I don't know. The LAPD put Hodel, now this is what they did though, put Hodel under surveillance from February 18th, 1950. Now this is three years after her death to March 27th of 1950. They installed two microphones in the home, which were monitored by 18 detectives. They wanted to see if Hodel would make any comments to insinuate that he was involved in Elizabeth Schwartz's murder. Why would he be talking about something three years earlier? There has to be something else linked. Most of the transcript is dull, with Hodel having sex and berating his secretary, talking about many problems. However, on March 19th, 1950, there's something horrific in the recording. At 8.25, a woman screamed. A woman screamed again. It should be noted that the woman not heard before was not heard before the scream. Later the same day, Hodel was recording, talking to his confidant. Realized there was nothing I could do, put a pillow over her head, and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 12.59. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. The surveillance routinely continued, catching in a highly incriminating statement. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. So he's talking about it three years later. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. The secretary referred to in the transcript was Ruth Spalding, who died from a drug overdose. Due to Hodel's comments in the recordings, he was investigated for her murder. He had been present when the secretary died and had burnt some of her belongings before the police were called, causing the Spalding case to be dropped due to lack of evidence. 
However, detect- documents were later found that indicated Spalding had been planning to blackmail Hodel. She is potentially about to come forward about Hotel intentionally misdiagnosing patients and billing them for laboratory tests, medical treatments, and unnecessary prescriptions. Let's not murder. No, he murdered her because she was about to come forward. I know, I know but they're saying that maybe she was going to... He says, yeah. they can't find out if I killed the Black Dahlia because my secretary is dead. So, but she was going to blackmail him. On that kind of on that, stuff. Why wouldn't she blackmail his ass that he killed the Black Dahlia? <laughs> Hodel's son, former LAPD homicide detective Steve Hotel, believes Elizabeth Short may have been one of the victimized patients. Oh, that's how he's putting Elizabeth there. Lieutenant Frank Jameson of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office wrote the report to the grand jury dated February 20th, 1951. In the report, he noted that Lillian Denornick, who lived with George Hodel, identified Elizabeth Short as one of his girlfriends. She also said that Hodel had spent some time around the Biltmore Hotel where Elizabeth had been dropped off. Tamar Hodel stated that her mother, Dorothy Hodel, told her that her father had been out partying on the night of the murder and stated they'll never be able to prove I did that murder. The LAPD retrieved a photograph of a nude Elizabeth and a nude model from Hodel's personal effects. The model was identified as Maddie Comfort, who said she knew nothing about Hodel being associated with Elizabeth. Rudolph Walders, who had been acquainted with Elizabeth and Hodel, stated that he had never seen the two together. Remember Rudolph Walt? He was one of the ones on the list. George Hodel died in 1999. In 2003, Steve Hodel, George Hodel's son, published the book The Black Dahlia Avenger, A Genius for Murder. In the book, he claims that his father had committed the Black Dahlia murder and other unsolved murders at the time. Steve Hodel says that he started the investigation into his father when he saw the two photographs in his father's photo album that resembled Elizabeth Short. However, the Short family insists the photographs are not of her. Steve later learned that one of the girls in the photograph was a formal friend of his father, yet the woman in the second photograph is still unidentified. Now, I've seen this. Um, he points to like a freckle on her face and then one on her eye and points to the one in the picture. Her sister unequivocally says that is not. You've seen the picture? Elizabeth. Yeah, I've seen. Are you going to link it? I will. It was a story. It was a documentary. So I oh. will try and find it. But I, the, the, the pictures that he has of the model and the nude girl, those are available online. I will link that. After reviewing the information of the Black Dahlia Avenger, the head deputy DA Stephen K proclaimed that the Black Dahlia case had finally been solved. However, others noted that K formed his conclusion by believing all of Steve Hodel's statements as established facts instead of treating them as hunches. Detective Brian Carr was the LAPD officer in charge of the Black Dahlia case during the time of Steve Hodel's briefing. Carr could not believe Kay's response and stated that he never, he, that if he ever took a case as weak as Steve Hodel's to a prosecutor, he would be quote unquote laughed out of the office. Despite mixed opinions on his theory, Steve Hodel maintains a website where he continues to update information on the Black Dahlia case and he does. He's writing a book. There are, I mean, he's written three books or he's coming out with a third. There are numerous books written about the Black Dahlia case, including one of a woman who claims that her father was killed based on repressed memories, which we talked about. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it's not likely that this case will ever be solved for sure. Although authors like Steve Hodel and PM Eatwell believe they have solved the murder of Elizabeth Short without the aid of DNA, it would be difficult to prove for positive who ended the life of a young 22-year-old girl. Hmm. Haley. Out of her short list and my one list. <laughs> one person list. Her unbelievable one person list. Who do I think did it? Who do you think did it? 
I don't know. For some reason, I have such a fascination with Mark Hansen. I don't think Mark Hansen's not on the list. He's not on this list, but she's... No, but I think that... What's the doctor's full name? Patrick O'Reilly. I think that Mark Hansen would have enough of a relationship with her to have that much anger towards her. He publicly had anger towards her. He said it in... I don't know what. Well, and he tells the police that she's not even attractive. Like who? Like he's angry about her. It sounds Can like I read a little bit dead. about it yeah, out of the book? So at the time, he was fifty-five years old too. Older. I mean, still, I mean, he can carry a body at fifty-five. Not not the same as a seventy-year-old. <laughs> um, his link to the victim, which we know, she stayed at the house. Um, he had no history of violence. M.O. is an old brown, which this is the M.O. that they have for him. The old brown address book belonging to Mark Hansen was included in the Melvin packet by the killer. They have no link to him on Norton Avenue. His behavior after the murder on July 17, 1949, the subject was shot by one of his former dancers, Lola Titus. During Titus's investigations, photos of the victim were found in the suspect's house by police, not revealed whether photos were of the victim alive or the, of the victim dead. Well, if it was the victim dead, they would have solved the case. But then additional comments, um, Janine Spangler, bit player and former Florentine Gardens dancer was closely re- who closely resembled the victim disappeared in the fall of 1949. FBI ran checks on the suspect in 1948 and 1949. The suspect's, suspect's fingerprints did not match fingerprints on the letter sent by the killer. Wait, that doesn't even make sense because they didn't they never got the the fingerprints off the letter. So it says. I don't I don't like that book. <laughs> so now you're not getting Mary on here. I know. Well, convince she me. Email back. me. D- no, okay. Okay, she I haven't read back. the book. I haven't read the book. And I've only read... But right there, saying that they... Page 84. They very <laughs> clearly said that the letter disappeared before the fingerprints could be tested. And it was cleaned with gasoline, so there weren't really clear fingerprints on it. So that, that bothered... The whole well, she's not saying the fingerprints. She's saying that the handwriting was... No, no, no. It was fingerprints. It was oh. fingerprints, not handwriting. It says the fingerprints prints did not match the fingerprints on the letter sent by the killer yeah see i don't i don't know for some reason i think mark hansen has more to do with us enough of a reason and there and there's no reason really you're gonna go with mark hansen not ed burns i'm gonna go with mark hansen and dr patrick o'reilly instead of ed burns who wrote do i need to reread his i understand what he wrote but then what's his face steve's dad george hodell also there's recordings of him saying well if i killed her if I killed her, that's, I mean, cause it was on everyone's thoughts and minds. Everyone always talked and he knew that he was a suspect at some point. He was, did Ed Burns know he was a suspect? No, he wasn't a suspect. He was the, he was, yeah, he was a fine man. See, I would go with Ed Burns. I'd go with Ed Burns before. Because of his suicide else. note. Yes. But I, maybe because no one can tell us why he would have a real reason because he's the unidentified man. Well, he was unattractive. She probably rebuked him. I mean, it says very clearly that he was unattractive, that she wouldn't have advertised that she was with him. She wasn't honest with him. She tried to be someone else with him. So she wasn't like trying to convince him to be with her either. Now I need to see what Ed Burns She used like. him. But like, what would he know about anatomy? What would he know about draining blood from a body? What, like, what would he know from all of these things? Like, you just don't by chance cut somebody in half 
in a way that makes sense. He's but not that unattractive. They said that he looked like a rabbit. He had like rabbit features. I mean, he's not like horrific. Well, no, he's not the elephant man or like. That's what I was dis- picturing, like a weird. No, he wasn't disfigured or anything, but he wasn't. He wasn't a, he wasn't Matt a naval man. You see a picture of Matt Gordon and Gordon Feckling. They're really good looking men. I don't know. I'm stuck on the fact that it needs to be a doctor or somebody because that just seems like it makes sense. It says the writer behind the Black Dahlia Solution claims that the LAPD knew who killed Elizabeth Short yet could not hold the murderer. Now, I know a police officer said he I was might have been John St. John said they knew who the murderer was. There's nothing they can do about it. And why would there be nothing they could do about it unless he was dead? Money. I'm I'm leading. Like cover up. I'm the only problem with Ed Burns is the fact that there's no medical. And that why would he? Here's a copy of his suicide note. Yeah, there's a letter where they Ed Burns right down the middle of it because and they said no they found med- that in the other letters too. My problem is that he doesn't have any medical training. Medical training and nothing is clear why he. Okay, I feel but, like nine times out of ten, a motive in a murder case is pretty clear. But he could have studied the six-year-old Susan Dignan murder where she was mutilated and dissected. Was she cut in half? Yes, she was. She They, they said that there was very... Um, um, she was cut up. I know that she was cut up. And in the confession of the actual murderer... He said that he used a hunting knife. So maybe Ed has some kind of hunting experience too. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily Any have to hunter be a doctor. Knows how Any to, hunter would know. You're right. To dress a body. And we don't know. Maybe Ed Burns. I don't, to me, Ed Burns seems the most, I, I'm not going to discount George Hodel, although mm. I don't feel like there's enough information for George. He was an awful guy, but did he kill Elizabeth Short? I mean, he was yeah. a disgusting man. He molested yeah. his own daughter. Yeah. Uh, I can't find a, con- yeah, I don't, there's no connection to actual Elizabeth, him being or knowing Elizabeth Short. And the pictures alone, the hair sister says that is not a picture of her. Yeah. So Steve Hodel, if you're listening, um, that's one of my biggest problems is that the photograph, can't, can't that photograph be... Done, like by a prof- I think it's done, been looked at by professionals. I mean, it seems like they could be able to take the picture of the face against her face and say unequivocally, "This is ninety nine percent chance it's her." Her own sister says it's not her. But I'm I go on the Maury show. Yeah, <laughs> I um I'm still gonna go with Ed Burns. Haley's gonna go with Mark Patrick Hansen O'Reilly and Doctor Patrick O'Reilly. And you, please, Probably Ed Burns. Yeah, good girl. Don't say arsenals. And Orson Welles fired together. Yeah. I think they, one had medical experience, one was mad. I (laughs) will have so much of this on our episode website for those of you that don't already know all the details of the Black Dahlia. We've um, done it in three separate episodes, but we could have done 10. There's so much more information about the individual players that had a part in Elizabeth's life and in the investigation, even the detectives, people, um, the original detectives in the case had, I'd found some obituaries of some of them and their family members said that the case never left them, that the detectives 
went on with the rest of their lives, but always, always kept a belief or wanted to believe that the the murder of Elizabeth Short could be solved. And I don't know that it can be. I don't have a lot of faith that with the missing articles and the missing evidence that it can be solved. I think at this point it's too convoluted. It might be. Like there's way too much speculation. There's way too many people claiming that they did it. There's way too many people claiming that they know who did it for an absolute fact. And we would love to talk about this because we've spent so much time on it and I've spent so much time on it. And the episode page will link all the different books. And if there's one that you believe or there's a suspect that we're missing and that isn't Orson Welles or Mickey Mouse, um, please let us know what you think because we would love to discuss it. Elizabeth Short is interred at the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland. After her younger sisters had grown up and married, their mother, Phoebe, moved to Oakland to be near her daughter's grave. On February 2nd, 1947, just two weeks after Short's murder, Republican State Assemblyman C. Don Field was prompted by this case to introduce a bill calling for the formation of a sex offender registry. The state of California would become the first U.S. state to make the registration of sex offenders mandatory. Elizabeth Short, we're giving you back your name, a name that should be remembered for the law it created. Today, the California Sex Offender Registry continues to provide a wide range of services that support and assist the law enforcement community with the monitoring and registration of over 120,000 California sex offenders. These services include maintaining and providing information to the general public via California's Megan's Law Internet website. Rest in peace, Elizabeth. Rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Also, you can join our Patreon site for exclusive content, upcoming contests, and information only available to our Patreon members. Visit our website at huntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all the social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.